This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hey guys, it's another exciting week with the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shenko. And I'm Psych88. To the not-so-distant past, to the good old year of 2010, to talk about Iron Man 2. Without further ado, I think we should just jump right in. If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry lovelies, you are in the wrong place. So, we start out in Russia, and we've got this very greasy man watching the news, talking about Tony Stark and how he's just jumped straight into the world by saying, I am Iron Man, in that very iconic scene from Iron Man at the end at the press conference. That was totally not the plan, but hey, he's Tony Stark, right? Yep. Uh, Anton Vanko, who is portrayed as a former Stark Industries employee, has recently passed away, and and, uh, his son, Ivan Vanko, finds the plans for a miniature arc reactor after watching Iron Man on the news and seeing the arc reactor in the suit and seeing how it's powering the suit. Uh, Tony's living it up. If he wasn't already a superstar just for being a billionaire weapons mogul turned good guy, clean energy, um, becoming Iron Man absolutely boosted his star power. Um, He (laughs) kind of uses that power to fight the government in a way because they are basically telling them hey we really need you to turn over the iron man suit to the u.s army we need that military and tony's like nah it's a private design i'm gonna keep this one all for myself (laughs) it's not just it's a private design he goes on to say it's basically in seriousness he calls it a prosthetic uh prosthesis for himself uh and so, therefore, it, for the U.S. government to take his private property, it would be taking him. And uh, last we checked, we were against slavery as long as you weren't mm-hmm. in prison. Um, after this, he decides... Oh, I, what? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I, I wanted to say, like, the scene with uh, the congressman and everything, like, where Tony is just schooling him. I mean, he's, he's taking uh, Stern to... <laughs> oh yeah, he's definitely given him a lesson. He's basically going through all of the competition, and he's saying, this is what China has. They're nowhere near Iron Man technology. And Hammer Tech is way behind. <laughs> yeah, we introduced Justin <laughs> he Hammer He throws him here, under the bus. And he's like, this guy is way behind the curve. And he throws him under the Humvee. He throws him under, he throws him <laughs> under every piece of military equipment that you could possibly think of. And he's like, yeah, this guy's like even more behind the curve than even the foreign powers because uh, the Iron Man suit he builds basically twists a guy in half. Um, he doesn't have all the bugs worked out yet, for sure. Um, we're also not going to be done with uh, Senator Stern for a long time. He's going to make a couple reappearances throughout throughout the yeah. MCU. Uh, and it gets real exciting <laughs> down the line. Um Anyway, Tony decides to reinstitute the Stark Expo um, in honor of the legacy his father, Howard, left behind. It also helps that he yeah. died of the thing that's supposed to be keeping he him alive. He gets this nasty, techy-looking rash around the arc reactor, and he's learning that the palladium core is kind of maybe poisoning him, and that's not good. Um, he, can't, he can't find another elemental substitute, and... Because of this, he starts getting a little bit reckless. Just a little bit. Nothing like impending doom to make you fly off the handle just a little bit. He chooses not to tell anyone, including those closest to him, like Happy and Pepper. Yeah, because, you know, that's a wise decision. And uh, the bio person in my life would like to point out that palladium poisoning is sort of like it's 
the heavy metal equivalent of leukemia. It attacks your bone marrow, your kidneys, and your Oof. liver. So, and, you know, Tony doesn't have exactly a strong liver to begin with at this he's... point, since he's been drinking since he was, uh, 10. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, that thing is shriveled, and unlike the Krogan, Tony Stark does not have a redundant, uh, you know, <laughs> organs. He does not have two livers. Yeah. He has one, and he has done his best to brutalize it. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, he's, there's, I don't know if there's a good reason why he just keeps that to himself, but yeah, he, uh, that's what he's going through, is that effective, is the effective thing to equate, equate it yeah. to. During all of his reckless, crazy antics, at one point, he appoints Pepper as the CEO of Stark Industries. Um, you know, he's like, you are the one who's kept me in line as much as humanly possible. There really is no controlling Tony Stark. It's more like you say Tony no, and Tony goes, Tony says yes, and he does whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> and your job is to do damage control, and Pepper has done a great job thus far, I think considering that Tony is still alive and not in jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> despite her despite her best yeah. efforts. <laughs> yeah, he's not uh he is not an easy person to be the personal assistant to. Um, he also um appoints Natalie Rushman to replace her as his assistant and <laughs> Man, they got creative. Uh, yes, the they very... got creative with that uh, cover name. Uh, I mean, to be fair, that is an actual known alias of of that character. Yeah, she's um <laughs> in the like in the comics. Yeah. That was something she actually did for go a by. super spy. Though so... you'd think you might like change your initials so you're not still NR and a redheaded female who's like super attractive. I don't know. Seems a little tongue in cheek for me, but this is comic time, and this, we're here for a good time. Yeah. I can we talk about how like he pulls up her resume with this Rushmore Rushmore character and she's fluent in all these languages. He hits up Google and really quickly finds the uh as PG as we can make them uh not safe for work images that he finds. And it's like she was literally designed to be this honey trap for him. And I'm like, Shield should have recognized that maybe he's not he might not pick up on that one. I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, she was designed to get close to Tony, but he doesn't exactly exhibit those characteristics anymore. Sometimes, yeah, because they're they're. I, I think in a way they slowly started to pull Tony away from the Playboy bit um, because they were going to then establish a later relationship with Pepper, which we're going to talk about further down the line. Um, anyway, there's this um, great scene when they're trying to sign over all the paperwork and everything. And uh, Natalie's there and Tony's in the boxing ring with, uh, with happy and happy to my memory has a fairly prolific history as a boxer in the comics. Am I right on that? Psych? So I really liked that they brought that in. Um, and let me tell you, I have seen a hundred guys that look just like happy at the boxing gym. These like kind of older kind of look out of shape guys, but they can throw some hands. That being said, he fully underestimates uh, Natalie, quote unquote, Natalie. He kind of teases her and he's like, oh, you've done what? Cardio kickboxing, maybe some Tybo, you know, making fun of her. And if... Uh, what, what was it? Booty yeah, boot camp or something? Yeah, if that's not some crap <laughs> that I have heard at a boxing gym from some dudes, uh, yeah, Marvel, you got that one right. <laughs> Be a girl, walk into a boxing no gym, figure. and they're going to ask you if you're there just to get fit and get a cute butt. The answer is yes, but I'm also here to learn how to punch someone in the face. I mean, it's like, why not exactly. both? <laughs> uh, yeah, so he fully underestimates her, and she she kind of she just kind of goes, yeah, okay, I'll fight. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll box around with you. And she executes what ha what become it, it what it is is it's an around the neck scissors takedown which is a completely legit takedown in mixed martial arts um tony makes a reference to mixed martial arts too and it's funny cuz at the time you know mid early 2000s you know um mixed martial arts was not the thing that it is now and we're going to especially talk about it when we get to captain america winter soldier because there are some legit fighters that are in that movie 
but she executes. What was his line? <laughs> it was like, it's mixed, mixed martial arts. Three been weeks. Around for like yeah, it's been around weeks. for like three weeks. I loved that. <laughs> I loved that whole bit there with the boxing ring and Happy being the boxer. And I, I really wish that they had continued that line. I don't think we really see Happy pick up the boxing gloves again. And I think that's kind of a shame. No, he kind of, he's a plot device later for the last Iron Man. And then he's a supporting character throughout the rest of the MCUs. Yeah. Anyway, anyway so on. yeah, she. You wanted to really talk yeah, about this. She takes him down hard. And I just, there's this little part in me, right, as someone who has trained martial arts and someone who has also experienced toxic masculinity in the fight space that so appreciated watching this, like, super hot but tiny in comparison woman take down this grown man hard. And he hits the ground and he's like, oh my God, what was that? He is shocked to be hitting the ground. Uh, he did not expect that kind of power from someone her size. And that's why you never underestimate your enemy. Okay, so, you know, to, to paint the scene a little bit, you know, Happy's all, you know, suited up. He's got, uh, you know, a, what is it, chest guard or whatever, padding. He's got his head He's padding on. He's got on legit boxing and... gloves. He's wrapped up. He's got on the Ooh, shoes. Yeah. Yeah, he's down. And she's walked in in casuals. Like, a button-up blouse and slacks casuals. So, like, of course he's going to also take it easy on her. He's super, you know, he's armored up, effectively. And I don't even know, like, Tony, I get the feeling he sends her in there to, well, one, ogle, and two, uh, get a read. Because the first time he sees her, he, like, if he had a spider sense, that would be tingling. Yeah, I think he knew that there was a little bit more that meet, than meets the eye when it came to Natalie Rushman. He then makes yet more reckless decisions. Um, the Monaco Grand Prix is you know, <laughs> going on, and he's not just <laughs> sponsoring a car and hiring a driver. No, our man is going to get behind the wheel of that car himself and drive in the historic Monaco Grand Prix. Um, so we get some... I mean, he has a you know a fourth wall moment, you know, in the mirror. He's looking at it. He's like, oh, got any other bad ideas? I, I love that bit. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very um, on brand, I think, for Tony. And, and especially with RDJ throwing in his little bit of flair there. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't think there's anyone alive who could have played Tony Stark other than RDJ. Uh, we get a reintroduction to Ivan Vanko, who has completed his arc reactor and is now standing in the middle of the racetrack with his um, electrified whips. Uh, I wanted to briefly highlight uh, the fact that he kind of utilizes uh, what's called the Sinawali technique in Filipino martial arts. It's um, typically done with two cane sticks, but it can be applied to uh, weapons of distance as well. Like you can, in theory, you could do it with a meteor hammer. Uh, it would be extremely dangerous. Uh, but you could also apply it to bull whips, which in, in essence is what is going on. So the whole principle of it is not tying up your own weapons and properly chambering your shots so that you don't hit yourself. Because even with just a pair of sticks, you can hit the crap out of yourself if you don't do this technique properly. So I did like to see that someone somewhere in the stunt department who was putting that together understood the principles of that and applied it to this character for his, you know, his attacks. So he's very dynamic and he's always conscientious of where those whips are flying, um, which I mean, I would hope if your main weapon is dual bull whips, you would understand the properties of how they move in space otherwise you you're gonna have a sore butt <laughs> and a sore face and 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 uh i mean his whips are electric so like ow you're gonna get hit and tased at the same time pretty much um and i mean they did some work on those cars he, he sliced a car in half uh with those whips uh, happy and pepper are sitting in tony's what is it, a Rolls Royce? Chilling, watching the race, keeping an eye? No, oh, so they're, I mean, they were at a okay. restaurant, and they're watching the Grand Prix race on TV, and they What's see going down? Whiplash doing his thing, and so Happy's like, okay, I got the 
the briefcase, and they're going to go help out Tony, who's now in a fight without a, a suit. Yeah, I think Cap has a great line about that later. Big man in a suit of armor. Take that off. What are you? Um, a moving target. <laughs> a very easy moving target. A very soft moving target. I mean, he manages to get he out does. of the way. He does. He plays, he he plays keep away long enough uh, for Happy and Pepper to drop the case. Um, and for Happy and Pepper to run Vanko yeah. over, like, twice or three times before uh, he literally carves up that Royce. And then we finally get the reveal of the, the suitcase suit as it is. And then we quickly demolish that one, uh, but we take down a, a Vanko. Yes. So... Vanko ends up in in custody and with the obviously with the plans that were for the arc reactor uh, Tony says that they were stolen. Uh, he's going to find out later that that's not quite the case. Not yeah, not wholly <laughs> it, true. It's a half not truth wholly. to say the least. Um yeah, so they this basically shows that Iron Man is not invincible. He is fully able to be defeated. Because he came pretty close. You know, you catch Tony without his suit, and there's a good chance you take him down. He was lucky, I think. He was very, very lucky. I mean, and that, you know, Vanko's all, if you make God bleed, you know, it proves your point. You're not God. And as soon, the next scene is the media tearing him apart. That being all, yeah, uh, he said we were 10 to 15, 20 years away from... Iron Man tech. Well, it was available yesterday. And the military is now like, oh boy, well, we now really want that tech, so cough it mm-hmm. up. And the only thing protecting Tony at this point is mm-hmm. Rhodes. Who's? He's the only one being able to be like, no, no, no. Hang on. I'll talk to him. Yeah. Um, we also get um, that a lot of people are going to notice that Terrence Howard is no longer playing our man, Rhodey. He gets switched out for Don Cheadle due to some issues uh, with filming and and scheduling and production and and also just personalities clashing. But we'll talk about all that in the second part of the show uh, when Psych talks a little bit about uh, all of that, the drama surrounding production. Um, I think Don Cheadle does a great job just kind of picking up the helm and they don't really address it. Um, He's very obviously extremely different looking, but... They just kind of roll with it, and I think if they had tried to make a point of it, it might have come off as a little bit weird, so uh, happy for it to just kind of be, okay, this is how it is now. Um, Justin Hammer has seen Vanko's performances with Lash, and he's impressed, and he kind of jailbreaks Vanko and tells him, I want you to build armored suits like Tony Stark's. Uh, no problem. No problem. Vanko wants his board. <laughs> he wants his board. And... There's this really funny bit where Justin tries to pass off not Ivan's bird as his bird, and he's like, that is not my bird. (laughs) And uh, as a bird owner, I can justify this and say, um, if someone handed me two green cheek Conyers and and said, which one's one's Macintosh, I I would know which one's Mac. Mac's my boy, and I completely understand his bond with his bird, because he loves his bird. Oh my god, I love Sam Rockwell as Justin <laughs> Hammer. He he tries so hard to be such a people pleaser and he is so slimy and schemy and just not as sharp as he wants you to believe he is. He's he's like and Rockwell does it perfectly. He's a guy. As yeah. much as RDJ as much as RDJ is great as Stark, Sam Rockwell was was he Justin was the guy Hammer for this. He one, was the guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, he did a really good job of making himself funny, yet absolutely hateable in the best way. Yes. Um, there's a word in German, and I can't remember what it is, but it roughly translates to a very punchable face, and that is Justin Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> and someone, I'm sure someone in the Discord's going to come up and, and tell me what that word is, and I will thank you in advance, because it's going to drive me nuts now that I've said it. Um, anyway, Tony is uh he's living it up and he's he's saying okay this is he's thinking in the back of his head this might very well be my last birthday because i'm dying of palladium poisoning uh so he gets drunk while wearing the iron man suit and he has this he does this big thing and he you know he's showing off for his party and 
using his repulsors to shoot bottles and destroy his house, basically. He's plastered. Uh, Rhodey sees this and just kind of rolls his eyes and is like, Tony, you're being irresponsible with technology that the U.S. government didn't even really want you to have. And he up and hijacks a suit. <laughs> um, I, he just walks down yeah, and gets one. He, he literally, it's he's got clearance. Say he he's got clearance it. for the lab. He's got clearance to get that suit. Uh, because I, I think he was having a suit built for him, but maybe not necessarily um, to steal it and go to the to the U.S. military with it. No, right? he just borrows the Mark II. Because that's one of the things I was a little sad, because we established that the Mark II, what it's made out of, has a cold tendency. Uh, you know, you, you get it too high, mm-hmm. it freezes. But it, out of all of Tony Stark's suits, had survived the best, and that's why it was still hanging yeah. around. Yeah, it, for all of its um, <laughs> shortcomings, it it sure did survive. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's why he gets the silver suit. And then we get a nice... We get a nice scene. We come back to that boxing ring. It's kind of like rock and soccer robots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, Tony, Tony's birthday ends as, as best you think it can. He is drunk, drunk, and he, he's blackout. Uh, and the next time we see him, he's sitting in a donut. <laughs> a very large donut. He's, he is munching away, having the time of his life. He is wearing the Iron Man suit eating a donut inside of a giant donut. He's got the shades on. He is living his best life that you can when you have a hunk of metal in your chest that's very slowly, not slowly, killing you. And Nick Fury walks up and he sees Tony in the donut. and He goes, sir, I'm going to need you to exit the donut. <laughs> and like we've said... As entrances uh, go, this one was good. <laughs> I love Sam Jackson. Uh, as as Nick Fury, uh, I think he brought a dry wit to the character, and, and as well as an intensity that I don't think very many other actors could have. Uh, and and seeing him as Nick Fury in this film was just it was super cool. <laughs> um, and he he's like, come on, come on down. We we gotta we gotta talk to you. And they go into the donut shop, and our girl Rushman reappears in that iconic skin-tight black cat suit. Uh, very, very accurate to the yeah, comics. without any subtlety on on the mar- on the movie's part. Like, that, that was three whole seconds of following yes, her butt. Yes, it was a little gratuitous. <laughs> um, a la Miranda butt shots from Mass Effect 3. <laughs> um, yeah, basic, yeah, that's exactly what that yeah. is like. Uh, man, we are killing it with the Mass Effect references tonight. I think it's just going to be a thing. Um, anyway. Cool. <laughs> um, she jabs him in the neck with some kind of wonder drug, and he's like, oh my god, that feels incredible. And Nick Fury's basically like, yeah, but it's not a permanent fix. You need to figure this out so that you don't, like, die. You know? Um, Keel over. Yeah. So, um he's like i don't even really know where to begin and uh right there <laughs> uh, nick fury he reveals that he reveals uh, that howard stark was a founding member of shield uh, and they have a bunch of old plans and notes and blueprints hanging around that were co-written between howard stark and vanko's father um, they invented the reactor together, but Anton wanted to sell it. He wanted to use it for all of the bad that it could do. Um, so Howard had him deported. The um, The Russians ended up sending Anton to the Gulag, and there's quite a bit of animosity there that Ivan brings in regards to that because Tony's father is directly responsible for what happened to his father. Again, this is a movie about legacy, so where, you know, Tony's got the Arc Reactor and the Stark Expo and all of that, Ivan has his father and the plans that he made with Howard and then subsequently the bad blood between the Starks and the Vankos uh, and ultimately seeks revenge for that. Um, Fury, Fury gives Stark, uh, gives he gives Tony all of his father's old notes and everything 
And while Tony's going through things, um, he's he gets this video from his father talking about legacy and about, you know, how he's setting things up for his son. And it kind of pans over the diorama of the expo. And Tony has Jarvis kind of plot out key points of the expo. And then when he expands it all and lifts it up with his uh, Tony Stark technology projector, whatever you want to call it, uh, technology that doesn't currently exist, (laughs) it reveals that the expo was laid out in the shape of a new atom. And Tony then has to build, uh, you know, special technology, special machine to synthesize that element. Um, We get a nice little kind of Easter egg of the Captain America shield. It looks like trash. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does. It It looks looks awful. It looks like a plastic knockoff thing. Okay, and then from a science standpoint, I literally have no idea what Tony Stark was doing. Like, I have no idea what that was supposed to accomplish other than destroy his home a little bit more. I mean... It looked flashy I as mean, hell, though. It looked he, great. He's already blasted holes all throughout his living space. He's fallen through the ceiling more times now than I think we can even count. He has crushed more than one very nice car. Um, I think building a crazy science machine in his laboratory and having to take out a few corners in the meantime, uh, I think that's the least of his worries at the present moment. <laughs> Fair. I was just I like I watching this and I'm like, okay, this looks like he's trying to build some sort of collider, but that's not what he's doing at all. And it's refracting light through a prism that turns into a laser that supercharges metal into his element that he's he's basically a performing alchemy. And like none of it makes any sense scientifically. It just looked really cool and was flashy and ate up time. Comic book science. Yeah. Oh, I love comic book science. It's the best. He learns, Tony has learned that Vanko is alive and like not in jail. (laughs) And yeah, he's, he's alive and not very much not dead and not in jail. And, um, he puts the new element in his arc reactor and it, you know, cures his palladium dependency and all that. Um, but then we, we get to the kind of the big ending scene. Right. So we're at the expo and Justin Hammer's on stage doing his best Tony Stark. He's like a guy that has watched videos of Tony Stark. And then they're like, "Okay, I want you to act just like him. But he doesn't get there. A very punchable face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so he unveils um, Vanko's armored drones and he has decked out Rhodey's suit. Now, he's got this gray and black motif, the big guns. It becomes a bulkier-looking suit. And uh, Rhodes is there. Rhodey's in the suit. He's, you know, doing his part. He's the war machine. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it it becomes... It's heavily weaponized. It looks crazy. It's got all the bells and whistles. Um, When Tony arrives at the expo to warn Rhodey about what's about to go down... Vanko takes remote control of the robo suits that he built because he told he told Justin Hammer all they can do is stand there and salute. We're working on it. Boy, was that a lie of omission. <laughs> it's like they can stand there and salute, <laughs> but I can also like hit a few keys on my computer and take them over, and they're gonna fly and fire off weapons and kill a whole lot of people, including Tony Stark. We're gonna do our best. Uh, so, uh, he also has control of the War Machine suit. Uh, so Rhodey is basically just a sack of meat floating around in the, in the War Machine suit. He has absolutely no control over what he's doing. He is along for the ride, so he gets to watch as his suit and all of these suits take off after Iron Man. And he's freaking out because, you know, this is not... <laughs> Uh, going according to Well, because he's also got to go completely limp in that Yeah. Bit. It moves on its own. If he tries to fight gonna that break suit, him. he's going to end up the same way as the test pilot for Hammer yes. did. Broken in a thousand pieces. 
he does not get to choose what he's doing, and if he resists at all, well, the suit is a, a heck of a lot stronger than your average man. And it's just going to snap his arms off and continue to fly around with him in it, so... Good job, Brody, for not ending up breaking every single bone in your body. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. And then after a big flashy fight, and Tony Stark does some crazy, you know, high flying skills uh, to take out most of the drones, he gets Brody by himself. And then, meanwhile, we had a split up of the team, and a certain redheaded super spy and Happy have gone off to take down Venka. Yes. Yeah, so- yeah, so they storm um, the hammer facility, and, um, you know, Happy's ready to go. He's ready to throw some punches, and he's like, I'll, ta- I'll take point. I got this. I got this. I'm going to lead. <laughs> no, no, no. The widow's having none of it. <laughs> She's already gone, and we get this great scene, which I think becomes quintessential widow. This is the scene that establishes all of her... Um, kind of trademark moves and poses and i mean she looks fantastic uh so she goes down this hallway and we get to see that awesome widow takedown that she pulled off on happy uh, earlier in the movie she is just tearing through dudes she's gone through at least six or seven dudes before happy makes it to where she is and he punches the last guy and he's like i got one yay No, he, he, like, he walks in, and he just, like, the two guards try to stop them, and he straight up, like, decks one of them, and he's like, I got this guy. And the whole time, she's just taking down guys left and right. He's fighting the one guy, and he's putting all of his boxing stuff into it, but this guy has just as much skill and maybe ten years on him, (laughs) and so, like, they're just nailing one another as much as they can. Honestly, the guy who got out of that the best was the one who got maced in the face, like... Out of all of them. <laughs> I, I think I would definitely... I have been maced. Um, I did Police Explorers, and they thought it would be a really fun idea to mace us. Um, <laughs> it was basically signing your kids up for torture, but it was great. Anyway, uh, long story short, yeah, getting maced is not fun, but getting taken down by the Black Widow... Actually, never mind, cut. Um, I would definitely choose getting taken down by the Widow. If only to be thrown to the floor utilizing her thighs. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway. Right. Uh, so, yeah, right. she takes down all these guys, and Happy finally takes down his one guy, and when he looks back up, it, there, he, there's just destruction. And a dude hanging <laughs> there. Like, he might want to go let that one down. <laughs> yeah, she had no trouble tearing through these dudes. Um, so... But we find out that Vanko has fled the premises, and Widow uses that opportunity to unhijack Rhodey. Yeah, luckily our guy gets his uh, gets his suit back, and he's able to control it again. And he's helping Tony take out more of the Vanko drones, and then Tony does this crazy thing with lasers that you know chops all the all of the drones in half, and the trees and the general surrounding area. And Rhodey's like, "You couldn't have started with that one." Uh, unfortunately, it uses up a lot of power, so Tony's like, no, 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 that's a, that's a one trick. That's my one ace in the hole trick. Uh, that's all I got. <laughs> and, and then, Vanko shows up, and somehow, in between coding the hammer drones, building the entire, like, units so that hammer drones can be operational in a drone capacity, he has also found the time to remake a better version of the Stark Reactor. And his own suit in the meantime. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah, they're playing real fast and loose <laughs> with what's possible. Um, he is one kind of sweaty dude. Um, <laughs> Mickey Rourke does a great job looking absolutely terrible. <laughs> um, he, I mean, <laughs> he looks like a guy that they yanked out of a shack in Russia, which I can appreciate. I do want to know how Man in a Shack in Russia ended up with... Uh, an umbrella cockatoo and uh, a great relationship with said umbrella cockatoo, but who am I to judge? Uh, I mean, he was an arms dealer. He it may have been a trade. I guess, deal? yeah. I mean, arms dealers do like their weird exotic pets, but I'm thinking more like a tiger or maybe even like an alligator. But a bird's a little bit off the wall. Anyway, off topic. He has built himself that suit. Very. 
and uh you know after a short cgi robo fight um he ends up just committing suicide and blowing up his suit along with all of the drones and um when tony realizes that that's gonna happen he shoots off to go save pepper and he nabs her just in the nick of time and in the meantime two shield has been you know evacuating people and getting them out of the expo because they didn't want them in the crossfire. It turns out it was a good thing that they, they did because Vanko's just going to blow up all of his drones. Uh, anyway, end of the scene, end of the movie. Uh, there's a debriefing and Nick Fury looks at Tony and he's like, listen, you... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, hang on. We got Hang on. We're not, we're not going to talk about two seals fighting over a grape. I mean, come on. You want to talk about it? You've got feelings. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a very funny line. I enjoyed it. Just to have the chemistry there was very, I thought, very well done between Paltrow and uh, Downey. Because, you know, Pepper's freaking out. She's finally had it. She's done. She can't do it anymore. And then somehow we go to a kiss, and yet it all worked. And yet somehow neither of them have picked up that Rhodey's like 15 feet <laughs> to the right. Hey, they were distracted, all right? Pepper almost died. A lot of stuff blew up. Tony had to fight. She had just found out that Stark was dying. I mean, there was yeah, a lot I, going I get on. it. There was a lot yeah, going on. She, you know, they both had a lot um, happening around them. So, you know what? A kiss and the start of a beautiful yet tormented relationship, which we talk about all through, you know, the continuing movies. The rest of the MCU. Ups and downs, whatever, but yeah, we, you know, they're, they're established as a couple, they are together now. Nick Fury then ends up just telling Tony, listen, you are a prima donna, you are a princess, you do not have a team personality, so you're off of the Avengers. Textbook narcissism. Accepted? Yeah, that, that tracks, uh, so S.H.I.E.L.D. is gonna use him as a consultant, a special consultant. For, you know, weapons tech and, you know, his skill set as Iron Man. Um, Tony and Rhodey get medals for their heroism. And then in our lovely Marvel post credit scene, we got our man Phil Coulson from the first, his first, you know, showing was in the first Iron Man. Uh, we get to see him again. And he's found something real cool. We're going to talk about that in the next episode. Because at the bottom of a crater in New Mexico, what do we have? A very special-looking hammer. All right, so let's cut to our mid-break. Uh, we've got a little bit to cover in the mid-break, and then we'll talk comic history, because we've got a few new characters to cover. All right, welcome to our mid-break. If you are, you've been sticking around with us for the last several episodes, we appreciate you listening. And we hope you continue to give us your support via, you know, if you're listening to it from Spotify or Apple, leave us a review or toss on a five star on Spotify. If you have liked our Facebook page, fantastic. I haven't kept track of the number of likes, but there are many now. What are we over? 50, 60, something like that. Yeah, we've, I think the Facebook page is getting quite a bit of traffic, um, which I'm happy to see. Uh, I've been loving interacting with the few people that have been making comments here and there. Um, so keep it up, guys. We like to hear from you, and we like to hear what you guys are thinking of the episodes. So definitely keep it up. Yep. And uh, recently, um, if you're listening to this, it was last week that we did the St. Jude Children's stream for Robots Radio. And we raised over 700 bucks for St. Jude Children's. And so that, that was a worthwhile time and we had launched our twitch channel which admittedly we're probably we're, we're not i don't yeah. know how often twitch we're going to use not it gonna be our main platform i don't think um maybe down the line we might uh, you know do a couple of things here and there participate in stuff like this live stream for uh, saint jude's again we definitely want to do more stuff like that because we i think we both had a really good time with it and Getting comfortable with the live format is going to be a learning curve, but, you know, we're happy to go along <laughs> yeah. with that and continue on making content. And um, thank you to everyone who donated and who showed up for stream to support it. Uh, thanks to everyone who watched our portion of, of the stream and 
anyone who came back to see Psyche during the live play D&D. So this show is once again brought to you by Bearded Brown Coat Comics and Games here in my hometown of Ocala, Florida. They've got two locations, one in Ocala, right off of uh, State Route 200, and then one a little bit further south in Bellevue, right off of 441 and uh, next to the Publix. If you need anything for your nerdverse, video games, retro gaming, my boyfriend recently picked up an old Pokemon game because he's been shiny hunting, booster packs for any card game you can imagine, tabletop gaming, D&D. If you need a place to go play, they have tables that you can rent. If you are looking for back issue comics or trade papers, uh, they even do lounge fly. I recently got a backpack. It's really cool. <laughs> um, anything, literally anything that you can imagine for all of your nerdy needs, you can find it at Bearded Brown Coat. So go give them a look, see, and tell them that the MCU Lorecast and Shenko and Syke sent you over. They'd be happy to see you. We'd be happy to hear that our people went over there. And seriously, enjoy a great shop. Because I legitimately go there several times a week and really, really just enjoy walking around in there and seeing what they've got. And I guess to wrap up on our mid-break again, starting October 1st, we will be putting out a Patreon as we established going over some of the tiers. So this time we're going to talk about Tier 3 that will be available. I believe we said... It'd be ten dollars. Yeah, ten dollars for tier three. And that one will get you. It will get your name listed off at the end of or during the mid breaks as part of a, a special thank you. We're we're also going to be um, putting any extra content from the show on as part of um, as part of the rewards, I guess, for the Patreon because um, you know when site goes through and edits this, there is content that gets cut. There are things that maybe we want to talk about that there's no time for in the show or things that are maybe a little bit off topic for what we're discussing on the day. But we thought that would make really great extra content for anyone who decides to follow our Patreon. So definitely something to check out. I believe that's it for mid-break. Who do we have that's new? Yeah, who's new? And what sordid history are we going to go through today? (laughs) Woof. All right. Well, where last we left off, I hadn't talked about the War Machine. He was introduced in Avengers West Coast number 94 in May 1993 by Lynn Kaminsky and Kevin Hopgood. So up to this point, Rhodey had had been you know kind of retconned into the origin story for Iron Man. He had been uh, Iron Man's personal pilot for some time. He had been Iron Man for some time in between bouts of alcoholism on Stark's part. At this point, he gets his own suit. And actually, that strained friendship that they established in the movie of you should be acting like a superhero and and not. That is still is actually very comic accurate for the time that War Machine gets his his suit. Uh, They had a separate issue going on that was, again, based on Stark's alcoholism. Yeah, this movie pulled heavily from the Demon in a Bottle story. At least in some regard. We will also revisit the Demon in a Bottle storyline even more heavily in 3, because that's kind of what they replace his PTSD with. Alright, we're going to talk about the redhead in the room. Natalia Alanova Natasha Romanova, a.k.a. the Black Widow. Natasha Romanoff is actually an alias that she had used at some point. That's the one they pulled for the movie for her to be for it to be her real name. I don't know why. Maybe they thought Romanova wasn't quite as catchy as Romanoff for obvious reasons. Most Americans know Romanoff from somewhere. She was introduced in Tales of Suspense number 52 in April 1962 by Lee, Don Heck, and Don Rico. She was introduced as a villain. She was a spy for the Russians. And she did things as an antagonist of Tony Stark, trying to steal, you know, weapon secrets and things like that. She, at the time, sported short black hair and, and a, a completely different outfit. That look that, w- that we established for the Black Widow, the full body black cat suit with the Black Widow insignias, that wouldn't be updated until 1970 by John Romita 
in Amazing Spider-Man number 86. And this, you know, that's well after she's switched, you know, she's defected to the United States and she's becoming a good guy and all that stuff. She got two miniseries starring her the same year Iron Man 2 hit theaters. So, and at that point, any series that had her kind of as a headline hadn't, they just didn't do well or they eventually just wrote her out or whatever. So she was kind of always bouncing around from team to team or book to book, just kind of a floater character. And it wouldn't be until this movie that really like reestablished her as her own character for the comics. What I appreciated that they were, uh, what I thought they were going to do was kind of a, the Ultimates line of stuff. In the Ultimates comics, Tony Stark proposes and marries, or at least tries to marry, Natasha. And so I, that's kind of where I thought they were going to, when I first saw Iron Man 2, all the way back in theaters, that's where I thought they were going to take this character. I'm happy to be wrong. I'm very happy to be wrong, because the the, the Ultimates line was not very good. And that relationship deteriorated badly. They were toxic. <laughs> they were the definition of that toxic couple. That's what happens when you start as a good guy and then switch to being a bad guy. I mean, there was there's so much wrong with the Ultimates. We will do, I think, at some point, a cover on the Ultimates line of comics then of themselves. But anyway, we got more characters to discuss here. Speaking of the Ultimates, let's talk about Nick Fury. Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos by Lee and Kirby in 1963 was the original Nick Fury. That's when he was brought in. This was originally a World War II combat series with his Army Ranger team. That's what the Howling Commandos were. His full name is Nicholas Joseph Fury. He was promoted to Colonel in Strange Tales number 135. And was updated to that Bond-esque spy for the cold for all the Cold War themed stories that he'd be going through at, at that time. So we moved from gritty, you know, get you know, get it done kind of to. I mean, he's still going to be a get him done, but also a tactician, long view spy master. Like none of that was his character before he became. Not necessarily even the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was a CIA agent. And then later, they're like, well, we kind of need some guy to head up S.H.I.E.L.D. So here's Nick Fury. Boom. In the comics, his longevity, because he is actually an original character from all the way back to World War II, up through the current lines and current day, his longevity is achieved by drinking from the Infinity Formula. So that's what would keep him youthful and alive all the way up through current day. The reason Samuel L. Jackson is the one playing him, I think, is because the Ultimates line of comics, his that Nick Fury was modeled after Jackson with his permission before playing Fury in the MCU. So here's where a funny bit of art reflecting real life reflecting art kind of comes like into play here. They said Let, let's let's draw him to look. Let's draw uh, Samuel L. Jackson into a comic. We're going to make Nick Fury look like Samuel L. Jackson. And then when they decided they were going to do Samuel L. Jackson in a movie, or I'm sorry, when they decided they were going to do Nick Fury in a movie, they said, well, they already modeled him after this dude, so let's just get him. Yep. I mean, we love to see it, and he did a great job. Oh, yeah. In fact, he did such a good job. He was so popular that Marvel Comics retired the White Fury to allow his son to take his place as, while the old Fury became a new watcher called the Unseen. So, for real, this is one of those moments where they have allowed a character to evolve and sort of die because his, popu- his more popular version isn't what they had designed. Because you know, all the way up through, right up until you know Mr. Jackson walks onto that set, Fury was white, and now you've got a much better, much suave, a cooler version running around, and com- the comics are like, well, crap, we want our books to sell, but we've still got the white Fury. Oh, what do we do? And so they kind of ship him off to become a, like, a watcher hybrid. Gets him out of the way. Clear the way, clear the way, Junior's coming. All right, so, 
on to our villains from today's movie. We've got Justin Hammer, introduced in Iron Man number 120 in March 1979 by David Michelin, Bob Layton, and John Romita Jr. His original design, and the, all the way up through until this character's death, was a tribute to the late Peter Cushing. For our Star Wars fans out there, that would be Grand Moff Tarkin. And he had recently passed, so they were like, well, let's... We would like to use his likeness for a villain in our Iron Man comics. And so that's who Justin Hammer actually was. The version Sam Rockwell played was obviously not that. And in all honesty, I don't, you couldn't have had Iron Man 2 go the way it did with any other version than what the, than what Sam Rockwell brought yeah, to the table. Yeah, he had to be kind of campy, goofy, not serious. If we'd had a very serious Justin Hammer, it would have been a lot different <laughs> to say the least mm -hmm. uh, definitely wouldn't have been able to go with the same story that they went with for iron man 2 um and i don't think they would have been able to push whiplash as the same type of villain without that lackadaisical funny comical justin hammer at the quote-unquote helm because let's be real he was not in charge in that situation <laughs> no no so the comic book creative team they saw Hammer as the dark mirror version of Stark. Because, again, he's a weapons developer, but he has no morals, he has no ethics, and he has no problem just continuing to kill people to make a profit. Very much, you know, very much the antithesis of what Stark tries to become. You know, he's still a weapons developer, but let's protect the world, let's save people, let's be the big hero. Alright, now, this one gets all over the frickin' map. Ivan Vanko, a.k.a. Whiplash. The original Whiplash goes all the way back to Tales of Suspense, number 97, by Lee and G. Colin. That one was not a Vanko. And several people would go on to be Whiplash all the way up through the, the decades. The Anton Vanko version, right, Anton Vanko, not Ivan, was introduced in Iron Man vs. Whiplash number 1 in January 2010 by Mark Guggenheim, Felipe Barons, and Marco Dejuvenek. And this would remain the current whiplash through to today. This is no relation to the Crimson Dynamo Anton Vanko. It's like this is the Russian version of John Smith almost. They ran out of they ran out of names. They're like, yeah, just name them the same as that other dude. It's a common name. It's fine. Yeah. And the reason I have to bring kind of the Crimson Dynamo in is because I get the feeling that's what they based the whiplash armor that we saw at the climax on. It's not red, but it's still bulky and huge. And that's kind of what the Crimson Dynamo armor set is. He does not have a con like a, a conclusive or you know, there's not one single whiplash who necessarily was what we ended up with in Iron Man 2. He's correct, the son correct. of the guy who is the current Whiplash, but he has not existed in the comics. Is that correct? Yes. Not Ivan Vanko, but mm -hmm. Anton Vanko, who they I believe they sort of modeled after the movie mm -hmm. version. I was looking at some of the art, and it's definitely one of those things where, like we've talked about, the comics start to reflect the media, or the movies start to reflect right. in yeah. the comics. Because, I, I mean... Even, um, you know, fairly recently when I went, I think it was even like a, a republish or a, an alternate storyline that kind of highlighted the, the movie events of um, Captain America the Winter Soldier. I remember looking specifically for like Batroc the Leaper and Brock Rumlow and, and they both kind of looked like the actors that went on to play them in the films. Um, and this was just before the movie dropped, so, you know had something to do with right. it um and we see it a lot especially now um you know as we move closer to the present day through the movie history and movie films and everything um where the the characters are starting to take after their movie counterparts oh oh but very much so yes we will discuss that more when we get uh to the avengers proper all right so now i guess for my last bit is the elephant sort of in the room here uh we want to address the was the Howard Downey drama and how that 
laid out and how it has been resolved, as it has been, or at least publicly, and who knows privately. So, according to several sources on the original Iron Man set, Howard ended up being difficult to work with, and that led to several shots that were, you know, and scenes needing to be redone, which is costly and time, you know, time sensitive. So, for the sequel, they offered him less of his contracted money. So, for the three movies that he was originally signed on to do, because he was originally signed on for three, he was going to be paid eight million in total for the three movies. He didn't get he didn't get all of that in the first one, so you know that's going to be divided up across the three. Well, so they come back with a new contract, sort of, and say for the sequel you're only going to get a million, so an eighth of his total just for this one, and he faulted that didn't find that to be very fair and so he disagreed and he tried to get a hold of Downey but Downey ghosted him just straight up didn't return any calls didn't text didn't nothing not even a you know what's up message just nothing so you know Howard got the you know got his papers and he walked and Marvel turned to who had been their second pick uh, second pick so much so that uh, I believe the casting room had been divided not quite evenly, but fairly evenly for Don Cheadle. They just were like, well, all right, we'll just go with our number two Majority spot. Majority draw. That Majority was draw. <laughs> yeah. Um, who Howard had no problems with. Like, okay, all right, that's that's who you're going to go with. Fine. That's it. Now, as of late, uh, Downey and Howard, they were at a uh, mutual friend's wedding. So they got back together. Apparently, they may have talked, worked some stuff out. And Howard had posted up on his own Twitter or Instagram feed, you know, pictures of him and Downey shaking hands, hugging, being all like, ah, it's good to see my old friend again. So evidently this hatchet has been buried, which I am for. Like, we should just, sometimes bad stuff happens to us all, and sometimes you have a falling out, then it's good to be able to come back to your friends and be like, okay, look, I may have been something, and you may have been something, but, you know, the friendship matters to me, so let's just... Let's just put that behind us. And so I, I liked that. I like how that has an ending versus some of these other feuds that you hear about between actors or actors and directors that no one can get past because, well, they did this and they did that. We're all people. We all have our issues. Sometimes you can't get past something and that's perfectly you know, understandable. But in this case, I'm glad it had this resolved happy ending. People are fallible and people make mistakes and people do dumb stuff but at some point we kind of have to figure out when to say enough is enough and and like you said bury the hatchet and it's unfortunate that you know terrence howard wasn't able to come back as Rhodey because i think he did a great job in the first iron man um i think don Cheadle goes on to really make the role his own and he is he's now Rhodey. you know I, i think um i think he took the helm and ran with it as best he could, and he got a little bit of backlash in the beginning, at least, um, just because the recasting was maybe a little bit of a shock to the casual fan. But now, I think it, it's just, it is yeah. what it is, and everyone's like, okay, he's War Machine. <laughs> I, I think, if I remember right, because this was the third film, and it was the first one to really start trying to establish the greater continuity of everything, everyone was like, ugh, well, without... With this casting change, how can it be, you know, how can we make this part of the continuity now? And now here we are, 10, 12 years later. Who cares? That's fine. Who cares? It worked. Everything's fine. It worked out the way it was supposed to. And we got a whole bunch of awesome movies. Indeed. Which we're all which we're going to talk about all Absolutely. of Absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's it for us tonight. Um I think we yes, have, that is it for me. We have one more Iron Man movie to cover, but next week we're going to be talking about Thor because we've been led right into it by our by our end credit scene. Yeah, we'll be sticking with basically the phase one. So next week we'll talk about Thor. Here. Lots of nitty gritty. Can't wait to talk about some of the fight scenes in that because man, oh man, am I ready to see some people get punched, like real punch, <laughs> not like Robo punched. All, right. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, night Bye, everybody. Everyone. As we all know, 
When it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. N7 Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration. Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us. Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork. Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music. Our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this. And you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And to quote Stan the Man, enough said. Have you ever wanted to deep dive into the lore and stories behind all your favorite Marvel movies? Then do we have the show for you. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. Join us as we dissect the media megalith that is the MCU. We'll talk about the origin stories, the fights, and everything in between. The MCU Lorecast releases on all major podcasting platforms on Mondays as part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club and can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 